0: Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Cam Lancaster, your host of the Lancaster Golf Performance Podcast. This week I sat down with Russell Budd. Russell is a former PGA Tour Latino America player and went to DePaul University for four years. He hails from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Most recently, Russell started the Toronto Players Tour. It is a mini tour that is built by players for the players. So, it really was an interesting conversation that I had with Russell. He talks about what it took to create the Toronto Players Tour and how the year has gone, how successful of a year it's been. He also talks about what's important to professional golf in Canada. And beyond that too, just for your own game and my own game, you really talked about what it takes to play at a professional level. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any feedback for us, we would love to hear it. Happy golfing. Hey guys, so if you have been following along my Instagram at Lancaster Golf Performance, you know that I've been giving lessons out of the Golfers Academy in Burlington, Ontario. So just to give you a little bit of a rundown on what it exactly is, there's six track bands there, uh, big massive hitting bays also with a full putting green, full club uh, fitting facility on site, and also physiotherapist on site. Uh, the owner, Jason, he's really taking COVID seriously and investing a lot of money into COVID protocols and products to keep it COVID safe. Also too, I'm running a mentorship out of there, so an eight-week mentorship that kind of covers every little aspect of the game. So if you're interested in something like that, I would love to work with you. You can message me uh, through my email, LancasterGolfAcademy at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at LancasterGolfPerformance. And if you're just interested in coming into the Golfers Academy to purchase some mat time, then check out the theGolfersAcademy.com. Uh, Thanks so much and enjoy the show like that that 91 year there's so many good players that came
1: through that year crazy well and that's the crazy thing is you look at you look at like amateur golf now and junior golf now and like these kids and like you, they can you know the kids playing the ontario amateur and they're like oh i finished 14th i'm like what'd you shoot six over par i'm like mm-hmm. like it doesn't doesn't look so good for like ontario golf when you see stuff like that because when you think back to when we were playing and you know it like I, I, I looked up, I don't remember the other day, it was uh the Craig Allen event, right? Okay. I think it was the Ontario M in oh nine. It was like Cam Burke, Matt Hill, Corey Connors, Matt Hughes, like mm-hmm. everyone. And yeah. then the Alvin Choi, and then it's like me in ninth place. I'm like, I'm like shit, like there's just some pretty good golfers that uh you know beat me. Like in hindsight, when you look back at
0: it, you're like, wow. Like that, talk about a stacked uh, leaderboard. Yeah, it was definitely like a shark tank. Like there were, I think there were a lot of guys that, you know, like especially, I remember Albin just seemed to be winning everything. Like, and he was, oh, yeah. he was doing it by some big margins too, right? Um, so it's kind of sad to see in a way with uh, competitive golf. I hope it kind of, like that's part of my goal is to start to develop, like kind of get kids into the game and give them the tools to be able to play the way that I saw a lot of people play. Because I yep. don't think there's maybe, the, like, there's not maybe the access to coaching um, that, that people, you know. I think it was just, I don't know what caused those years to be so good for Canadian golf. It's crazy when you think about it. Like, and I tell people this all the time is that you think back
1: to, like, Matt it was Matt Hill, Matt Hill, Matt Hill. Like, yeah. Nick Taylor was really damn good. And he was, like, number two in the, in the world. But no one talked about Nick Taylor. And then you, you flip the script, you know, 10, 15 years later. And nothing against Matt Hill, but Nick Taylor's won two or three times on the PGA Tour. Like, holy, like, that's just crazy. And it tells you how good both of them were that at the time, like, you didn't even, you barely heard of Nick Taylor because Matt was so good and there's so many good players in Canada. And, you know, Nick kind of just flew flew in the shadows a little bit for a while. And then, you know, guy's a PGA Tour winner, multiple PGA Tour wins. Definitely. Yeah. I remember
0: going up to. I remember seeing Matt Hill at the Ontario AM I forget where it was. I just went and followed him the last day. And he like, he made, he made seven under look so easy, like probably hit 16 greens, like was flagging six irons, six like to back pins. Like just was, I was, to me at that point I was like, okay, time to hang up the clubs. Like it's a different brand of golf. I was not used to that. <laughs> it was big boy golf. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you, you played a uh, You've been playing a little bit of pro golf, man. You still doing it? No hanging up. Oh yeah. Yeah, tough tough grind out there.
1: I if I can if I can drink beer with the boys, I'll play golf, doesn't matter what what we're doing. But Yeah. Um I've moved on to a different challenge in my life and I I've been loving it so.
0: Mm-hmm. So the the new challenge is kind of growing the tour.
1: So I'm actually working for the PGA Tour and Mackenzie Tour. Oh, no,
0: that's um, awesome. man. Good for you.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of like the big like that's that like the big plan is, is going there with the tour. Um, and then kind of this whole tour started because, you know, when we canceled our season for, for COVID, um, A, I had nothing to do. Like I was, I was losing my mind as it was. Right. And, and, um, no one had anything to play in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, we, we started this whole thing um, at the, you know, cash game at, bondhead and it started because i wanted to play with a bunch of guys that could play mm-hmm. and I, now if i want to play golf like it needs to be for money and it needs to be with good players i don't care if i lose money but yeah. like i when as soon as i'm done playing competitive golf i don't want to practice i don't want to play like with a bunch of you know bad golfers i want to po- put i want to play with good guys um mm-hmm. uh, so started off we were just booking tee times at bondhead back-to-back weeks and it was fun and figured you know maybe we'll there's, there was no tours running and there's nothing for people to play in. So we figured, you know what, maybe, maybe there's like an angle here where we can run this, a tour or something. We'd get 20 people type of thing. And, um, boy was I wrong because 20 people was not even close to what people wanted. I mean, we, we were filling field, like our first, I think eight events, we were full. Um, yeah. And even then it, it just kind of blew up and then it, Originally, it was planned just as you know. Let me let me get by the year. Let me get some experience with running tournaments. Let me give the players something to do. And then I started to realize that there's a that there's a need for a tour that's ran properly. There's like there's a need for this, and I think I have something I can add to the to development of both professionals and amateurs in in the GTA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, closing the year will I be back working with the PGA and Mackenzie tour? hundred percent, like it's nice. awesome. Um, but, but will this tour run next year? Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to, you know, grow even more. Uh, we'll have to hire someone and we have a couple people that we have in mind that are, that'll assist me. And then when I'm out of town, they'll take it over. Um, see the same vision for the tour. Um, are passionate about the game, very knowledgeable and are, are open to, doing it the right way opposed to the wrong way.
0: So no, that's interesting. Yeah. Like with, I've just been following it on Instagram. So I've really just sort of seen the results come out. And so what do you feel like is the difference between like your typical tours in the area, like your pro tours in the area, amateur tours in the area versus the Toronto players tour.
1: So the first thing is, is is we are a players tour, right? So many of our stops this year, golf courses have been simply because players said, why don't we go here? Hmm. So, Sure. You got, it's for you. Right. And I tell this to people all the time. I run the events. I set up the golf course. I run the business of it, mm-hmm. but I can only do what you guys want. Right. So what I think pros want and what they actually want, they're similar, but at times there is a difference. And we we ran uh, surveys after most of our events because as a guy that runs a tour, like how am I supposed to give the players what they want if they don't tell me what they want?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you
1: know, our we have three major you know concepts that we that, that are important to us. And it's it's listening to the players, mm-hmm. it's paying them out quickly, and it's offering them complete transparency as to what's happening. And that's kind of been the issue with with professional golf and especially mini tours, not just in the GTA, but in all all across North America, is that, you know, it's stealing from the poor at times for lack of better terms. Mm -hmm. But no one knows, no one knows where the money's coming from. No one understands what the money's for. And then they don't get paid or their, their check bounces or, you know, it's two, three weeks to get paid like that stuff shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, not that's not the way it is and you know i make it i make it an emphasis that if any single player asks me you know where's my 450 dollars going i will be brutally honest and tell you where every nickel and dime of that money is going to um and then on top of that as soon as you get as soon as you we finish a golf tournament you're paid within two days at the latest um and that's the way it should be like there shouldn't be anything else other than that. You earn the money, you should get paid. Like mm-hmm. it's, I you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to hound down the person, hound the person, especially like how we did all of our payments this year. Like, is it a lot more work for me? A hundred percent. But you know, we do a couple of things, and we did all of our payments were via e transfer, direct deposit, and same thing with the payout. So, you know, how do we get the purses as big as we get them based on the entry fees? Is that our margins are, are awful. They're awful margins. Right. And like, we can't, we can't afford to process credit cards. Like Mm -hmm. one of our players asked, well, can we, can we, uh, maybe next year we can do credit card payments. I'm like, because they wanted the points. Right. I said, we could, but that's just 2.6% more on the entry fee. Like do you want to play for a smaller purse? Well, no. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. Like our margin is so slim. Like we do e-transfer. Why? A, it doesn't cost me anything. So And as soon as all the players have paid, that money is sitting in my bank account. So as soon as that golf tournament is done, I have all the money right there. So it's just boom, 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 type it in on, on the mobile banking app, and the money's out back into whoever's pockets that, that earned it. And um, it That's works awesome. It works perfectly that way. But at the same point, the margin is so slim that when when we do make a mistake, and uh, I've told a couple people this, our first event at Black Bear, we, I mean, it was our first event, but we had an amateur rate and a pro rate. And I had no idea what the demand was. I figured if I offered a reduced fee for amateurs, we'd get maybe one or two. Well, all of a sudden, everyone on Team Canada, AM, AM squad signed up and then four other AMs signed up. And we, all of a sudden we were at like, I think, 10 AMs and I'm punching in the numbers and I'm realizing for every AM that I charge it's costing me $27 out of my own pocket. Wow. I'm like rule number one about running a business, you shouldn't be it shouldn't be coming out of your own pocket, you know, in that sense. So yeah. like our margin was so slim and like you live and learn, right? And like I understood that like it it kind of sucked that one event, but it it was kind of the growing pains, but uh all in all, that, that's kind of being our, our biggest difference between other tours is that we are we are fully transparent and like, I I run the tour based on what I wanted when I was playing.
0: Mm, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, like just speaking to the money point, like money at the end of the day is oxygen, right? And if you don't have oxygen to breathe, then there's no point in doing it, right? So I, I'm sure that's one of the main well, no, it is one of the main factors for like those high level amateur guys to maybe not want to turn pro or when you get into the pro life, it's like, oh, uh, you know, maybe give it a year and see if I can make a little bit of money. And if I don't make money within that year, like I remember when my older brother was looking to go pro, you know, they, he was looking at raising money and there was nothing guaranteed. And, you know, raised, I, I think at the time it was something like 60 to 80 grand for a year. And that would, that would sort of cover everything. I, I might be getting those numbers wrong, but. I know you're pretty close that figure alone is just like, ah, you know, maybe I don't want to uh, spend 300 days a year in a hotel and, and grind it out on the mini tours. And cause that's like kind of the, that's probably 80% of pro golf right there. And, and I'm sure you see it a lot more than myself too. I, I just re- really read about it. Right. So to actually hear about it, like Canadian golf, there's probably, you know, when you think about how much it costs to, to hire a, a high quality coach, how much it costs to, you know, pay for your membership fees. Right. You know, high quality course you obviously get some perks along the way like good guys would get perks but it's not like unless you really are diehard love the game it, it's hard to get you know guys that are sending to the top of the game and that's why there's probably so far and few between Canadian players at the top level
1: and the other thing that makes it hard and it's it based on kind of the point you, you just mentioned is that the expenses are so high and what you put in is kind of what you get out so mm-hmm. you know and it's it's kind of always been something that's irritated me is that you'll see people that, yeah, they're not strapped for the cash. So they're kind of in a difficult situation where they have to make some they have to make some tough choices, mm-hmm. but they get to the point where they're choosing to not play in Q school because they can't afford it. Right. And but you kind of got to put the money you got put you got to invest like you're your, your asset. You have to invest in yourself if you want to, you know, reach your potential. And it's difficult because for some of the people that don't have the money to invest, they make difficult, they have to make some really difficult choices as to where does my money go? So a lot of the time we'll get guys that'll want to spend the money on entry fees opposed to coaching or, you know, staying in a, in a, in a lower grade hotel because that's all they can afford. Mm-hmm. But everything is connected. Like if you get a, if you get a shitty sleep, like you can't you can't expect to feel good for a, a four day tournament, right? And on the flip side, like if you're if you're if the money is so tight and you're you know you're playing in events and you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, if I don't make if I don't make the cut this week, I'm in the hole now. seven hundred dollars, and then I'm, now I only have twelve hundred dollars left in my bank account, and I got to pay for gas on the way home. And then my girlfriend's been complaining; she wants I need to get her a gift. Like uh, and then all of a sudden, like you're just putting added pressure on yourself and I mean, good luck with that. You're you're not going to succeed if that's all the, th- the thoughts you have going through your head. Mm-hmm. And as it's it's hard enough to make it, and you know, playing professional golf. Never mind when you're adding all that additional pressure and negativity on yourself. That's that's a lot. That's a lot to handle.
0: Wow. Yeah, I was I was kind of going into this thinking uh, to encourage people to play pro golf, but maybe it's <laughs> it's, <for> the, <laughs> it's only for the the mad the mad people. Um. So I guess in terms of like Canadian competitive golf like you said something about like this is what I would have done you know had I had this growing up so we kind of hit on a lot of topics but what do you feel like are some of the other things that's missing in competitive Canadian golf that kind of needs to be added
1: what irritates me when I see kids um, mostly juniors and, and they all and it's, it says a lot about kind of our culture right now is that it's so social social media Driven, which has been great for the Toronto players tour and in social media is a great thing but these but these kids think that the, they want to go they want to get division one scholarships because they want to they want to post it on social media and show their friends but they don't truly they don't truly understand and, and they see a lot of they get so much pressure coming off you know instagram and twitter and facebook and they you know they get pumped by some of these like these phenom kids with their golf swings and stuff and and they they just put so much additional pressure on themselves that when you actually sit down and you ask them well why do you want to go why do you want to get a division one scholarship they don't even have a good reason for it hmm. they just they just well because because johnny did or whatever is whatever their buddy is and i think you see some of the scores and stuff that guys are putting up here and you know to be honest with you, they're not Division One quality because I think that the idea of how good Division One college golf is in the States is sometimes lost here um, because, you know, the ebbs and flows of competitive golf in Ontario and Canada, it's all over the place. And we yeah. were talking about it earlier, like, you know, back in the day when we were juniors and I was, when your brother was playing, I mean, if you were the 15th ranked Ontario golfer, like, you were – a lock for for a scholarship. Now, yeah. you know, across the board, you, it's kind of the top is definitely, in my opinion, stronger on average than it was when when I was playing amateur and junior golf. But I think the the median and the average of, of the play is weaker. And I'm not actually 100% sure why that is. Um, I think a little bit has to do with just just the age of the kids and and how they're grown up with so many, you know, for lack of better terms, distractions. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it, I mean, why did I want to go Division I scholarship? It was for all the wrong reasons. I wanted to go experience college athletics at its finest in the States. I wanted to go watch college basketball. I wanted to, you know, experience that. And then once I got down to DePaul University in Chicago, I realized, oh, man, it's more to life than just the college athletics. It's the whole experience. It's the education. It's the it's the camaraderie, it's the traveling with your with your team. It's it's so much more to it. And I, I think I think we as a society could be a lot more helping um, of junior golfers to, to reach their goal because I feel like in general, we are developing athletes aside from hockey. We do as Canadians a really lousy job of supporting them opposed to the Americans, which jump yeah. through hoops hoops to develop athletes mm-hmm. so i think if we can if we can we don't have to quite go to the level the, that they do in the states but if we can at least close the gap a little bit and, and invest some more money in and more money and resources into developing our athletes i think it's it would be fantastic
0: yeah it'd be nice to see some sort of you know like division one or two scene come out of like actual canadian universities right like that that's obviously would probably be a far ways away now it's interesting you said about like the social media complex that kids have nowadays. And it's, um, it's something that like, even myself, I grew up grappling with, but social media wasn't really around. And it's more just that kind of getting caught in the validation loop. Right. And like, it's, it's what Tiger always talked about when he what his dad would teach him. It's like, are you playing for yourself or are you playing for someone else? Right. And I think a lot of times we're caught in this I even find, you know, me putting stuff up for my social media stuff for Lancaster Golf. It's like, okay, am I, am I posting this because I, I think it's it's actually the correct knowledge, or am I posting it because it's going to get you know more people watching it, right? So, it's it's always I think anytime you start to do things not for yourself in the game of golf, you get burned pretty quick, and which parallels to life. So, yeah, hundred
1: percent. And for me, like when I was playing, like by no means is my golf swing the prettiest golf swing in the world. I'm I'm a I'm a, a perfect example of a guy that's got average talent but has a, you know, I'm a grinder. I figure out a way to get it done mm-hmm. and I think that more than anything right now in in amateur golf that I've seen is a complete lost art. You get these kids are so I'm going to blame you as a swing coach for this. Okay, but it's uh, everyone's so swing oriented. Everything is golf swing, golf swing, golf swing, and that's a great. You need to have a golf swing, but as soon as you get in in a, in a competition and get in, you know, in in the fire, like you hit a bad golf shot, you can't be thinking about the golf swing, and that's all I see now. And these kids, they the they look at all these golf swings and how beautiful they are, but and then you play with those guys and they shoot 77. And you're like, that's such a beautiful golf swing. Well, unfortunately, the beautiful golf swing is not playing golf. You still got to figure out a way to get the ball from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, always been a driving (sighs) – it it always got my my engine going is when I would play with a kid that went to, you know, Oklahoma State or some – or Florida. And, you know, I grew up knowing who who this kid was. And, you know, he's got an unbelievable golf game. And he'd go out and shoot 72 and I'd shoot 67 and just slapped it around the golf course. <laughs> yeah. Like, makes me f- – and that's just – that's kind of who I am. And I think I think that's kind of been a lost artist with all the technology and instruction is that, you know, guys sometimes don't know how to play when it's 50 kilometer per hour winds and it's mm-hmm. three Celsius, and it's wet and crappy outside. When they have to keep the ball in play, you know, missing the right spots, get up and down, and shoot seven an ugly seventy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just looking at like the statistical analysis of the way you look at the PGA Tour players' scores, right? So they're averaging about sixty-nine per round. Thirty of those is putts. So if you just look at the numbers, forty-five percent of the game is putting, right? And how many, how many people would you, if you went out to a driving range and there's a putting green there, would you see on the putting green? I was, at a, I was at a driving range all season, and I'd say 95% of the golfers never even touched the putting green, right? So just there alone, right? And I think there's like a, like for competitive golfers, there's a baseline of athleticism and, and swing biomechanics that you have to get down. But I would say that that's like kind of your barrier to entry, right? Having at least one of those down, whether it's athleticism or sound mechanics. But then beyond that, 80 to 90 percent of the game is the soft skills like managing your emotions, managing your putting, chipping like, you know it. Right. You live that life. It's there's there's a lot more to it. Um, and
1: the funny thing is, is when I think back at all of the tournaments that I've played really well on and two of them come to mind in 2018, when I was playing down on uh, PJ Tour Latino America, we got to. Uh, the Argentine Open, where the winner of the Argentine Open gets an exemption into the British Open the next year. Okay, cool. And I was sitting 83rd on their money list, and top 60 uh, keep their card the next year. So I, I quickly did the math before the tournament started. I needed to to guarantee making, make, getting my card back. I needed to finish, I think, fifth or better. So I'm going out there on the driving range the week before. Or the you know week leading up to it, and I am hitting the golf ball horrific, just like a complete donkey. And you know, tournament starts and it's at Pilar, which is uh, a Jack Nicklaus design. So it's it's all about ball striking and hitting it in the right spots.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I think I started off three over through five holes, and no through six holes. And I was, I get to the, there's a score every three holes and I get to the score and I'm thinking to myself, man, I cannot wait to walk off the golf course and book my flight home Friday night. Like, I just cannot wait to get out of here. And I remember, ve- I really, really remember reaching into my pocket, grabbing that golf ball and tossing it to the scorer and saying, this golf ball is not working. Hopefully you'll have better luck with it. And I pulled out a new golf ball. And I think I shot, I'm gonna say 70 or 71 that day. So I got got it maybe one or two under par, mm-hmm. and then shot I think another 69 on the second round, and then I think I shot 67 third round, and then another 68 final round. Finished second, and missed getting in the British by three strokes. And I played awful. I I just wanted it. I just figured a way out and I wanted it better more than other people. And uh, I wasn't physically exhausted, but mentally I was I was drained, absolutely exhausted.
0: So you you find – like you find for your own game and, and probably players that you've watched even just on the Toronto Players Tour this year, it's more that just sort of mentality and grind factor that gets you across the finish line at the end of the day.
1: 100%. It's all – it's everyone is so good i think anyone that's trying to play professional golf or high level amateur golf have the talent if they're not they're going to find out real fast that they're wasting their time but if you don't have the correct attitude and mindset you're you're toast and i said this uh last night in uh, our weekly segment that we do uh, we had brendan leonard on and brendan after our first event he said something to me along the lines of I don't care how much money I make if I'm not winning the event because I'm playing to win the event. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's, and that was, that was our first week. Right. And there's no, there's no surprises that he'd let our money list. Like w- when you have an attitude like that where you're, you're just, you're not concerned about, you know, cashing a check or making 50 bucks here, you're, you're playing golf to win. And that's his mindset. He gets the golf course and, he doesn't care. Oh, I oh I don't like this golf course. The greens suck, Blah 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 blah. Like those are excuse, those are excuse. that guy's never winning the event, right? Mm. He, like he comes to an event with the attitude that it's just this is another event. This is an opportunity for me to win an event and play good golf. And that's you, you can tell who who's going to contend in a given week based on their attitude and their approach to something.
0: And it's that it's not so much like an, an attitude of like, you know, staying positive and, and not getting too, you know, too upset. It's more just that, like, you know, I'm going to step on someone's throat and get the job done no matter what. That's kind of what your thoughts are on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a mixture of staying positive, but guys that just see, see the idea of uh, this is what, this is the goal the goal is to win mm-hmm. and i could you know I, there's only so much you can control and i've this is something i've always preached to myself is that you know you can only do what you can do right and if you're going to go out and shoot 65 65 and someone's going to beat you good luck to them right and i think uh, from the guys i've seen everyone kind of understands that if they had the right mindset that they're gonna succeed in, in their plan to win an event. They have a very good chance of winning that event. It's the guys that have even a little bit of doubt. As soon as you have a little bit of doubt, it's, you're wasting your time. I mean, you, you can't compete. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta let the dog out. She's, she's crying yeah, at the no door. do go for
0: it, man. Go ahead, leave the leave the
1: place because you don't want to be with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? Black Lab. Oh, beautiful. I've got, like, a lab kind of, like boxer mix, but labs are great.
1: I love the best. She just, she, like, my wife went into the bath, and she, said so she was sitting, like, because it goes, or back three rooms, or bedroom, uh, bedroom, bedroom, bathroom. So she was kind of sitting outside, because we both had the door closed, and she was just whining at the door, so I let her in. So then I guess my wife got out of the bath, and then she heard her, and then she was just flipped around and was whining at the door again. <laughs>
0: Uh, I know that. Um, so, so let's kind of talk, talk to me about like the, the kid, the typical kid we were talking about earlier, even if you're maybe talking to myself as a junior player, someone who's kind of caught in that validation loop, like the Instagram player, who's really concerned about their swing, just from a habit standpoint, like what are some of the things that, you know, you would recommend for them to do on a daily basis to kind of get to the level of golf that you see and you've played in your past.
1: Play as much golf as possible. Hmm. Don't sit on a driving range for 10 hours a day beating golf balls because that does nothing because you get down, you start to compete in tournaments and stuff and you start to realize that, yeah, you might have hit three hours of seven irons and they might have felt real good. But as soon as you get that little five mile per hour wind off your back and the ball is a little bit below your feet and you got tuck left pin that all that goes straight out the door. Yeah. And um, I saw a lot of this in South America when you you find these guys that are absolute ballers and they don't do anything that like you you want you want to say wow these guys strike the ball but these guys know how to play golf. They go out and and they grew up on a lot of similar to kind of like what I grew up on here and a lot of people in the in the Toronto area where, where they don't have driving ranges is that um, they just find they just play golf. Like play as many holes as you can, figure out a way to make birdies, um, and that and that's to me the hardest thing is is learning how to make birdies, and um, you know that's something you know I I used to do kind of leading up to events when I was playing is you know I I rip around in a car try to play as many holes as I can and you know if I don't make birdie pick up the ball go to the next hole right. And that had to do with the fact that I was a good, I was a good grinder. I had no issues making pars and getting up and down, but at times I struggled to score the ball and scoring the ball has nothing to do with getting reps, practicing on a driving range, putting on the putting green. It's, it's purely making birdies and practices and that's the only way to get up there. And um, I mean, we used to play like the front tees at school, like go up as far, like fronties, five thousand yards. Try to make as many birdies as you can. Like all that stuff to me is those are kind of like lost old school arts that I don't think juniors and kids do anymore. I think they're all so concerned about going in the back and playing it as hard as possible. Like, yeah, it's it's good, but you know, you gotta learn how to score the golf ball. That's the hardest part. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, just in testament to my own game, I remember from the ages of like 11 to 13, 14, I was playing probably 150, 170 times a year, which is a lot for a Canadian player. And then around the age of 14, 15, when I got to the next division, I'm like, I'm only hitting a draw. I want to learn how to play a cut. So that meant a lot more range time. And I also didn't like some things in my swing, a lot more range time. So it went down from maybe 150 rounds a year to 120. And then it was 120 to about 90 and then to 70. And it's like, where the hell did my golf game go, right? And it's like, I think that's another big thing too for Canadian players is that like Americans can just play year round, right? So you just of, like if you going out and like, as soon as you, you know, the ball doesn't freeze coming off the face, <laughs> competitive players should be out there, you know, playing 36 a day, playing as much as possible just to get kind of that rust off in the season because if you if you don't go out there playing a lot then it take you you know you start to heat up your form around July August so yeah oh I was saying um yeah so like you know a lot of Canadian players they would round their form out come July August they'd start to find their mid-season form right and by that point all the qualifiers were done so you didn't make it into some of the tournaments and get exposed to that good competition and then that was basically your summer like I always remember myself play my best golf in the fall i can consistently shoot under par i'm like well there's no there's high school events that doesn't really mean anything at this point you know so it's uh that's a very good point man i think that's you know you don't there's there's definitely like for for any golfer beginner golfer um intermediate golfer there's a lot of benefit to going to the range and working on your swing but you know you you look at guys like bubba watson or ricky fowler those guys didn't have driving ranges growing up they went and played at the end of the day
1: yeah i mean it's it's an old school mentality, which is you know, here's the, like and that was my coach at school. She's just like, you hit a shot, can you hit it again? Yeah, I can find it. Okay, well, can you hit it again? Yeah, well, then you can make bird your par, mm. right? And that was always the thought, like go out, and play as many holes as you can, figure it out, figure it out, right? Opposed to the guys that would, you know, they they would play, they would play kind of lousy, and then they'd be like, oh, I want to go straight to the driving range, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is, like, college golf and amateur. And, like, the fact of the matter is, like, truly, how much are you going to get done on the driving range? Like, your swing is kind of what your swing is at the time. Like, you're in the middle of, it, like, competition mode. Like, you're not making big changes, yeah. right? So, at that point, it's – yeah, you can go on the range and bang balls for two hours, but that's going to really be pretty counterproductive. Like, you're not going to get anything out of it. But if you were to go out on the golf course and, you know, play some go- play some more holes – you're probably going to benefit more from that than beating the same seven iron with the same lousy swing that you've been putting on the whole day.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I've thought about this too, deeply. Like I can't, I can't think of another sport where you do like 90% of your practice on a different, completely different field that you actually play on. Like you go to a driving range, it's a big open field. The putting green's perfect. And then you go to the, the course, everything's a lopsided lie. Everything's a lane way and and there's there's also That's something to
1: I guess people people complain like wow everything's below your feet and above your feet well that just means that you've been hitting balls on a driving range too much because <laughs> yeah i mean you're never going to have that perfect lie like very rarely mm-hmm. like do you think the guys when they get to augusta they complain at the balls below their feet all, all the time mm-hmm. mm, i don't think they're complaining so much about the but the lies they're getting at augusta
0: <laughs> yeah and it's something i have to catch myself as a coach too because like I've been doing a lot of, you know, a lot of the track man lessons standing on the driving range, you know, over and over and over again, because to a certain extent, it's what sells a lot of people, right? 100%. But to keep them coming back, it's like, okay, let's go to the putting green. Let's, let's get out on the course. And I, I was out with one of my students today on the course. And just from a coach's perspective, there's so much more insights you get seeing a player on the course, even the way they're applying your swing lessons. And typically 80% of the time, they're not applying the swing lesson because it's so damn awkward, right? You'd rather just... If you're going to give them something for the swing maybe okay work on this behind the scenes and let it seep in naturally right so it's yeah there's yeah. it's you know it's a difference between like what's functional and what's sexy and unfortunately like a lot of people go for what's sexy i i'm guilty as that too right i'm guilty as charged
1: i mean i and i was too at times and, that, and that's like when i look back on it like it irritates me that i, I kind of got swept up into that mindset which is like you're on the golf course and you're just trying to you're you're, you're feeling things you're trying to, i'm like who, who don't that's not who i am like and i i've always been like the least technical person like even when i worked with foley and and ryan corbin and my coach at school it was all about for me like give me just having a feel because i felt when i was on the golf course and i was playing and i needed to get back to something if i had a feel thought over a technical thought. I felt that I could kind of bring it back a little bit easier than, mm. Oh, I got to get, you know, I got to take it inside a little bit more. And at that point I was like, you know what, get me off of this golf course already.
0: <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's not looked at enough um, and something that I'm actually rethinking the way I'm coaching my players too, right. Is to, is to get them more out on the golf course and, make, make everything gamified. And something you said at the start too, that was interesting to me about like, if I'm not playing for money and I'm not playing the highest level guys, then what's the point. Right. And I think that's another thing too, is, is getting out there and even playing growing up with my brothers, I didn't play enough matches against them and, you know, even try and take two bucks off them just to see and test my game and put myself in a pressure scenario because for the average golfer, when they get to their club championship and it's their one, like there's a reason why like the average, time for uh, 18 holes is like four hours and you get the club championship and it's six hours right because people are just blowing their brains out because they're not used to that the competitive juice is coming up
1: yeah and like we and it's like the opposite for me like if i'm just playing a casual round of golf like pencil me in for eight, like 77 right now like it's it's like painful like <laughs> I, I don't have any encouragement and yeah. then you tell me that we're playing for 50 dollars nassar or something like that and all of a sudden like you know, Russell Budd from 2018 pokes his head out, right? Because it's just to me, it's at that point, it's just, it's just, it's the mindset then like I get into the mindset that I'm playing for something Mm -hmm. and and everything, it doesn't matter how my golf swing feels. I'm going to figure out a way to hit it. I'm going to figure out a way to make a pot. And um, that to me is like, I've seen that from a couple of players where, You're like, wow, this person's mindset is stupid. Like they're thinking in a different level than everyone else here. And this is why they are so good. And um, I mean, it's that's the crazy thing about golf, in my opinion, is that it's so easy. I mean, it's just you out there. And this is something that I struggle with a lot when I played in South America is talk about a lonely feeling. You're at the other end of the world. No one, you know, for lack of better terms, you're, you're, you're with your buddies and stuff, but they don't really care about, you know, how your day's going and how you're playing. (laughs) And I mean, it is so lonely. And I, my first couple of years, I missed a lot of cuts down there and it is, it's the worst feeling ever. And, um, it is so easy to get in a bad headspace and, um, it's impossible to, to succeed if you're in that headspace. doesn't matter if it's golf or anything. And I think as golfers, it's way easier to think negatively than it is positively. And so much of what we do and what I've seen people that have succeeded um, has to do with the fact that they have a positive attitude and, and they understand um, what drives them, what they need to do to succeed and mm-hmm. Brings back to our point about what what I see in juniors. Is it's and this is case in point, is that I don't think that they understand that they can do they can do something differently than their friends and everything else. But what what makes you, Cam, succeed and what makes me succeed are two different things. And what how I have to think and how I have to do stuff is different than how you have to do it. And I think with so much pressure around them, a lot of juniors just see it as. If if uh, Jordan Speed does it this way, well, then that has to be the right way, right? Mm-hmm. And not everyone there's there's one Jordan Speed. You don't have to play golf like Jordan Speed, right? And you're right. probably not going to play golf like Jordan Speed. Mm-hmm. But there's there's different ways to attack things. There's a different there's different ways to think about things, and there isn't one correct way. No, and you kind of have to really find which which way kind of reflects your personality and what you want out of golf and it's a lot of the time it takes people years to do and it took me a lot longer than i was hoping to figure it out and now i'm not playing golf anymore so it shows <laughs>
0: yeah well, there's, there's that development curve right um and you're right about it you know everyone trying to find their own way i always copied tiger growing up which was probably the worst thing for me i was nothing like like the way tiger perceived the game but i read everything on him And, and then when I recently, I've been discovering a lot of the way Lee Trevino approached the game, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me, you know, like going out and just kind of like hustling it and, you know, playing everyone in this club for money matches and getting good that way. And, And to me, that's like, I'm the type of player where there's a lot of players that way they play their way into form as opposed to, oh, everything looks perfect. Now I can take to the golf course. Right. So it's, there's there's so many different ways to approach it and you're right it's about finding your own way just you know again it parallels to life right it's finding what works for you there's no you know there's no path that's that's cut and dry right so yeah i um, sure. curious man so what's your we kind of talked about it at the start what's your future vision for the Toronto Players Tour like where do you see it going in the next couple of years uh, I'm sure you're still kind of reflecting on what was in 2020 it being a pretty wild year for you
1: yeah so it um, kind of what we what we had imagined the season being and what it ended up being was very different. We had a lot kind of my vision was uh, more single day events kind of two three days a week um, and then I kind of real quickly that the players didn't want that as much they wanted some one days but they wanted more multi-day events so we started doing a lot more multi-day events I think. Of our last seven or eight events, I think they were all but one were multi-day events, and they worked great. Hmm. Uh, And then, you know, moving forward into next year, uh, we're going to expand outside the GTA even more because I feel like um, as a developmental tour, what my goal is is to get players ready for McKenzie tour and Corn Ferry tour. And I think so much of that has to do with routine, um, but more or less the whole lifestyle: of traveling to an event, playing a golf course on a consistent basis. So I, I, I'm really putting the schedule so that it's like one tournament every week type of thing. Multi-day events, kind of all over the place. Good events um, where you know guys can figure out, you know, Sunday is my practice rounds. Tournament is Monday, Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. And then I go home yeah. and. Whoever has a job can work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or practice, or whatever whatever they want. But I think it's um, it's huge, and, and other tours, don't, especially in Canada, don't do as good of a job with it necessarily, which is um, getting them a mini taste of what it's like to travel. And I mean, I'm not we're not talking about flying, but you know, two hour drive, staying at a hotel, playing in a practice round, two day tournament, get out of there, right? And stuff like any, you know, some of our tournaments will, will have pro-ams in them. And even that's, you know, something that you have to learn to do when you're playing at the next level. Um, but I think it's going to be, we have a bunch of really, really good facilities lined up for next year. And I think um, all of our players are going to benefit from it. And um, I don't, I think that this year is great. Next year is going to be even better. Will we make mistakes? hundred percent. But kind of what the tour is about is, is trying new things and not settling for average or good, um, because I don't think I, don't, I owe it to the players to give them something better than average or good. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's the that's that's you know that's what I want. I, I I love when we leave a facility or or even when we go to a facility and the host clubs love having us there. Why? because our players are the most respectful people that they've ever interacted with. They Mm -hmm. thank them for everything. And do I tell them to do that? No, they're just, they understand, they get it. That's professionalism and the clubs love seeing good golfers. And when we leave a golf course, they generally send me a message saying how much they love the experience. Can we do it again next year? Or, you know, think these guys are the nicest guys are welcome whenever they want and that makes my life really easy because i know that you know you're going somewhere every year and and you and there's a good reputation that we have and so little of it has to do with me i'm just bringing the tournament there so much of it has to do with the fact that my guys and my and my female players are awesome not just yeah. as, as as athletes but as people mm. and um, it's made our made my life really easy for planning for next year, because, you know, when we call new facilities, they've heard of us, they've heard good repu- that we have a good reputation at, from other golf courses. Um, and people want to have us, which makes it a whole lot easier than when people don't want to have you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, man, it's very encouraging to see like I'm happy to see that the legacy that came out of the years that we played junior competitive golf, that it's, there's still, it's still going forward. Right. I think it's at the end of the day, it's what Canadian golf needs. And I think there has been a lack of leadership from, you know, from, from people that were developing the game in Canada. Um, there's, there's a lot of guys doing great things, but I think there's not this to, to put Canada on the world stage in terms of developing those guys. And, and at the end of the day, like you're, you're a player's tour, which is cool, right? Like you're doing it for the players at the end of the day, because you know, there's a whole bunch of different people involved, but at the end of the day, the players hit the shot, so they should be the ones getting all the credit, right? And uh, I think that's super important.
1: 100%. And, and I say this to people all the time that, you know, what I, what I think we want the tour wanted was sometimes what they wanted and sometimes it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And opposed to me just pressing my own agenda on what the tour becomes why would I do that? The players tell me what they want. It's, it, and this is the idea of it being a player's tour is that we like, we do what they want. Right. And, you know, moving forward, I, I feel like every person I've have a conversation, I've had a conversation with about next year are completely on board with kind of what my vision is to make this tour and they're understanding that they love what I've done and they trust me and they understand that if you do new things, you're gonna, sometimes you're gonna make a mistake. Sometimes something's not gonna go well, but the only way you can you can grow and become better is if you try different things, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll go to new facilities. You know, we won't just play the same facilities that are average, let's say. And, you know, whether they work it out, great. If they don't, learning lesson, right? Different formats with regards to ams, like, and this is something that a lot of tours don't do is, is that, you know, a lot of time they talk about the sponsors, right? Great. The spot, the purses don't end up changing. So where's the sponsor money going? Right. And that's as a mini, as a player, like that just used to irritate me. Like, Oh, you keep on talking about these sponsors, but I don't see any of the money. Well, where's, where's the money going? It's going into someone's pocket. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, we're looking at a bunch of different ways to, fun purses and that has to do with you know whether we play pro-am style the first day and some of the money from the pro-am goes to the club and some of the money goes to um, into our purse um, or sponsors of the tour like we're kind of open to everything Mm -hmm. and we're gonna try a bunch of things and if they work they work if they don't you learn and um, I think the, all the players understand that, and they like that we're not doing things the conventional way.
0: For sure, yeah, I think it's it's coming from the perspective of, of yourself who who used to be a player, so you understand the pain of what players go through at the end of the day, right? Which is super important uh, just to developing it. So, Russell, where can find where can people find the Toronto Players Tour um, on, online if they want to so- find it for next year?
1: Yeah. So right now we're, uh, we have a big social media presence on Facebook and Instagram as under the Toronto players tour. Okay. Um, and we will be launching a website sometime in the new year, um, just so that people can another resource for people to reach out to us, uh, to follow our events, to register and all that stuff. Otherwise, um, up until this point we've, we've used Instagram and Facebook to, um, for, regist- for registration results, live leaderboards, everything, and it's been it's been very successful this year. We've had over one hundred and sixty five different players compete in events. That's We've awesome. had twenty one events this year, I
0: believe, and it's been wild. No, <laughs> <laughs> so that's great because, like, I I know just speaking speaking to a couple of buddies still playing competitive. A lot of their tournament seasons were completely wiped out, so I'm sure you've had guys that we're able to fill a full schedule, get that full year of development, and they're ahead of the curve now, which is, you know, who knows oh, yeah. COVID will be next year, right? Like, you guys still might be, just seeing where, where you've gotten it to, people will be more, you know, at the end of the day, it's about where do the players want to play, right? It's not about the name of a tournament, and you're building that, which is, that's fucking awesome, man.
1: 100%. And the crazy thing to me, and this is kind of lost in mini-tours, is that people people forget the fact that, yeah, the money's, having money is nice like yeah we all want to make some money but the fact is no one's making enough money to live a normal like a a good life off of mini tour money right and that includes the people running the mini tours um but in order if you want to reach the next level you need to be prepared and the only way you can you can you can dodge and weave you know playing the best fields and stuff but if you want to see what the best golfers are like in Ontario, you play a Toronto Players Tour event. We have the strongest fields in the GTA, mm-hmm. uh, and you want to you want to know what it's like to play at the next level. Play with Derek Gillespie, play with Brendan Lender, play with Sebastian Ziermann. These guys have played everywhere, right? And they and they know how to play golf, and those guys win golf tournaments. And um, that's how you're going to get better. You got to be good players yeah can you go play some weaker field tournaments yeah you, you can can you go make a little bit of money yeah you can for your development is that going to do a lot for you probably not um and you know we talked about this yet the other day on a podcast with andrew jensen on called on the cut and uh or on the number that a lot of mini tours purposely set up their golf courses a little bit too easy because they're trying to attract more players right <laughs> like you know whether it's your assistant pro that gets a tuesday off and wants to come play the golf tournament that's doing the, the players that that deserve that are trying to you know make it to the next level a disservice because you're not allowing them an opportunity to really grow and experience what they're going to experience at the next level so that's the issue. And then they get to the McKenzie Tour, they get to Corn Ferry or Latin America or China, and they lose their card right away. Why? Because they, they haven't seen pins tucked back there. They haven't seen the golf course set up the way it has been. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they've been used to playing mini tours where the pins are seven from the left and 12 on the green, and yeah. you know they're hitting a wedge in, right? And, and I was guilty of it. When I went down to South America my first three years, I lost my card. Yeah. a lot of that had to do with the fact that I wasn't prepared for it, and a lot of American mini tours do a pretty good job with running events like a normal tour event would, was set up in the in the style. But I had never experienced that up here, and I got down there and it it beat me up until I started to you know learn, and you know this year's kind of been my one of my goals has been to prepare my players, and it was kind of cool with the with the Mackenzie Tour running the four. Canada Life Series events in Victoria and uh, in and just north of Toronto is that I was kind of able to see, you know, the byproduct of what we ran here this year is that did, did I get some of my guys prepared for those events and everyone that had played in them um, said that 100% that they they noticed a lot of similarities between how the courses were set up on the McKenzie Tour to what we were doing and they they learned it and actually Brandon had mentioned yesterday night that um, his first few events he played on our tour he just wasn't playing well and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he wasn't playing the proper way you know he was missing in the wrong spots he was doing everything that when you're playing a golf course setup that's a little bit too generous allows you to do and he finally won his first event at the Corey. I think it was second week of july and he's like i finally started to figure out that you know maybe i'm not supposed to hit it at the flag stick maybe i'm supposed to hit it five feet right of it and a little bit short of it yeah and you start to you start to really learn about what how to play golf opposed to just shoot the number and hit balls at the stick and i think uh, a lot of our players benefited a lot from it this year and I've I've seen some massive changes. So Selena Costable, I mean, she she got the, the worst situation. She earned symmetric tour status and essentially they put her in a situation where she had nothing to play in this year. Right. So she decided to come out and compete with the guys, right? And she went out at one of our one day events and saw sixty three. Okay. And she's playing from sixty four hundred yards and she won by four. That's pretty impressive. And- yeah, and like one of uh, Mark Kaufman was telling me that the sixteenth hole at Watson's Glen is this four hundred and sixty yard par four dead into the wind. And I think her T was a was four hundred and forty yards. I should never have had her team playing from that far back. And like
0: five twenty par four for a guy. Yeah, yeah it's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> and Mark's like she had a free width of twenty feet and then she canned a putt. I'm like awesome. Yeah, like in in and, she, and she's told me this and other people have told me this is that they've that they appreciate it but like i get so much enjoyment seeing how much better she's gotten this year from learning to play with the guys mm-hmm. and and it has to do a little bit with men's to women's golf that you know you got to be men male golf you got to be a little bit more aggressive than female golf and she's learned that and she said a couple times that she was just aggravated because she missed making a check by one stroke she shoots 200 par for two days misses a check right and then the next week she goes out and she does the same thing and then the next week after that she makes she makes a putt on the last hole to make a check and she shoots 400 par right right and stuff like that is how you want to know how you get better you you have to go through that and um you see i've seen some massive uh growth in our players this year and I'm expecting a lot of them to for, uh, some really big things next year.
0: That's unreal, man. Yeah. And, and even for the kids who are like, you know, 16 to 21 years old maybe pre NCAA or in the NCAA, I think that's another thing too, is you play a lot of, you know, cute golf courses, 62 to 400, 500 yards in junior tournaments. And then you go to a big boys course, like 73, 400 yards in 10 degree weather. I saw my brothers go through that and it's a, it's a, it's a different brand of golf, right? It's, it's, uh, it'll slap you in the face pretty quickly, right So just there, there's to your point earlier there's a, there's a point to playing the shorter golf course, but then there's a point to playing that championship level golf course right and, and putting yourself under that fire and, and seeing you know you, you figure out a way when you put, when you put yourself in those situations more but when you don't put yourself in those situations then it can easily just fall apart. <laughs>
1: yeah. you, have no, you have no idea what to do in those situations if you don't put yourself in them, right? Yeah. And, and that's always been kind of what, what was difficult is if you don't give yourself the opportunities then every time you're in them you're just a you're overwhelmed by the experience B you're, you, you don't you put so much additional pressure on yourself so like if you do succeed great but if you don't you're just kicking yourself right and a lot of that has to do with the fact that you didn't prepare properly because you' would never experienced that so what like what, what do you expect you know It's like writing a test that you've never studied any of the material real for like you're yeah. expecting that you're going to succeed on that probably not
0: mm-hmm.
1: especially if you think about you know across the board if, if you're playing against guys and this is what you know when I when I played at the RBC Canadian Open in, in 2018 like I was so excited like I, I I probably didn't I was probably my heart was pumping like the whole week and like I'm trying to make the cut and these guys are trying to win a golf tournament and they're so used to the Everything, the whole experience, like I'm not. That's why guys that make, you know, Monday qualifying to tour events generally don't make the cut that often. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're just not, they haven't seen, they haven't been in that experience as many times as the other guys. And it does make it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And how do you get better at it? You just put yourself in that, in those situations more often, and you hope to learn from it. And if you don't, such is life. You gave it your all. And I think uh, a lot of our players have understood that this year, that, you know, there's more to golf than just shooting numbers and, you know, giving themselves the opportunities and taking something positive out of everyone. And that's one thing I think a lot of junior golfers don't do well is that they're very difficult, very hard on themselves, and they don't don't take positives out of every round. And, you know, there are always positives. You just need to understand um, where they are and sometimes a positive could be a negative. You know, if you had a really bad day, and you know, you just got beat up by the golf course. Maybe the positive is you finished the you finish the day. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they could be so so small, but they make such a difference in the long run. And I I think a lot of our players, um, even on hard days this year, I think they've understood that there's something positive to take away from the day.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the con- it's the constant process of having to reframe everything, right? Like when something doesn't go your way, it's it's almost like the, the Jocko Willink approach. Like, you know, if something goes bad, you say to yourself, good. Okay. Let's move on. Let's, let's do it better, Let's do it a different way for the next time. Right. And oftentimes, you know, that, that snap pick hook, you hit on the second or third hole can be the end or, you know, a bogey stretch can be the end of you, but kind of using that negativity as fuel uh, is, you know, is an easy way to just snap right out of it. Right. And you need that in golf. You need that kind of like short term memory loss, almost like that instinct to, to kind of, take yourself out of the situation and say like, let's reframe this. Let's move on. Let's, let's learn from it.
1: Oh yeah. Trust me. My wife will tell you about my short-term memory.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Golfers need, yeah. That's why you're a good player, right? Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to check out Russell, like Ian mentioned, check out at Toronto Players Tour and give him a message. If you're looking to donate to the tour to help our professional golfers in Canada, or you're looking to enter into some events for 2021, please give him a shout. Also, just like I mentioned before, if you're looking for some Trackman lessons or some online lessons, please email me at LancasterGolfAcademy at gmail.com. Best of luck with your game. If you have any further questions for me, please just throw me a message uh, on our Instagram at Performance.